Hi, I'm Siggy, born and raised in St. Catharines, Ontario, and now living in the nation's capital of Ottawa. I'm Jelaine Santiago, and I was born in Malolos, Bulacan. I grew up around Markham, Ontario, and then now I'm currently living in Toronto, and I am the CEO and co-founder of Cambio & Co., which is where I got most of my education about life and being Filipina. And I'm Jazzy, born in Manila, Philippines, raised in Toronto, Canada, and schooled all over southwestern Ontario. You're listening to the Halo Halo podcast, a delicious mix of pop culture and the Filipino-Canadian life. Before we start our podcast, we'd like to acknowledge the lands we're podcasting on. I'm podcasting from the traditional lands of the Huron-Wendat, the Seneca, and most recently, the Mississaugas of the Credit River. I'm also podcasting from the traditional lands of Toronto, which is known by the settler colonial name of Toronto. And I like to think of land acknowledgements in the same way as we think of the Filipino cultural practice of saying Taopot. So before you enter someone's home, just saying Taopot to acknowledge the people who live in that home, but also the spirits who protect it and how a land acknowledgement, we can acknowledge both the people who also live on the land, but also the traditional stewards of the land who continue to live on it, who have lived it, and who are still there to protect it. And I'm podcasting from the traditional unceded territory of the Algonquin and Ishtabek people. In this month of May, the Halo Halo podcast is focusing on fashion. And on today's podcast, our topic is Cambio and Company, deconstructed with our special guest, Jelaine Santiago, as you heard in our introductions, visiting us in our Halo Halo podcast virtual studios. We welcome you here, Jelaine, and I want to give you guys a little bit of a background. Jelaine reached out to Jesse and I on November 11th in 2018. You invited us to a pop-up called Filipinesque, which was a fair trade pop-up fashion and a dessert and pastilla bar in Toronto. Mm -hmm. I couldn't make it, but Jez went there and got to like really experience it. You have been one of our early listeners. You have elevated and celebrated us. We are glad you're here, and it's our turn to elevate and celebrate you. As Jesse and I have done in the past, you can briefly remind us where you were born, where you grew up, and where you locate yourself today. And moreover, tell us about your immigration story to Canada. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I didn't realize actually that long yeah. and that you used our pop-up, Jesse. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Jelaine, it was so funny. I came away from that pop-up, and it was like, I, first I bought a lot of, too many baked goods, but I think for at me. the time, yeah. <laughs> and I don't so think Jirachi would mind me saying that, but... In any event, there was so much to take in. And I was just telling Sigs about everything there. And it was kind of like, oh, I'm a little bit jealous they couldn't come. But yeah, it was wonderful. And, you know, I wanted to say hi back then. I think it was just so busy. It actually yeah. surprised me. I mean, not that I didn't think it was going to be busy, but it was busy. I was totally surprised also. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that- I guess sometimes when you think about Filipinesque and Filipino pop-up shops, I don't know that I knew what to expect. And I was just kind of, whoa, taken aback by it. So it was kind of fun. And I remember seeing your, I guess, a stall or something like that. And I wanted to say hi. And then it, I think you probably, you look busy. That's <laughs> all I can say. And I, I didn't want to interrupt at the time, but it was just a wonderful event. And thank you for the invitation. Yay. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah. And so I'm honored to be here. So I, a bit about my story then. I was born mm-hmm. in Malolos in Bulacan, which is about an hour and a bit from Manila and I grew up my family we immigrated to Scarborough so I actually grew up for a few years in Scarborough and then we moved to Markham Ontario Mm -hmm. so I went from being like one of the many immigrant kids in Scarborough to suddenly being one of the few non-white kids in Markham before Markham became very Asian as it is today and I remember in my school I think like 
there were probably like four Filipino kids and I was one of them. Yes. So I didn't really have a chance to grow up very connected to my culture, to other Filipinos. And the only Filipinos that I really knew were like other family members and my titas, my titos, and then, right. you know, my and then I went to University of Guelph, which is even more white than <laughs> <the> market. So, <laughs> Try going to Western. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, no, I did not go to Western. Yeah. <laughs> Let me yeah. just go backwards a little bit. Grew up in Scarborough. I also grew up in Scarborough, too. Oh. Grew up in Kennedy Park, went to St. Mary Goretti, then later went on to Cardinal Newman High School, now St. John Henry Newman, I think is what it's called now. Did you say that you were like one of four Filipino families in an all like white neighborhood? In Markham. Oh, in Markham. Right, 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 right. In my high school. Yeah. Yeah. And so back in the 90s, was it that when you came to Scarborough, is that right? Yeah, we immigrated to Canada when I was about two years old or just I had just turned three. So that was 1990. Yeah. And right. then we spent the first few years in Scarborough, and then we moved to Markham when I was in grade seven, which I can't remember how old people are when they're in grade seven. 11, but- <laughs> I think is what it would be. Right? 13, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 11, 12, 13. Okay. Yeah, like, like 11. It's a very formative time to be moving from like an environment that feels a bit more familiar, where you're, you feel like you fit in and belong, to suddenly being feeling very different. That's right. just kind of how it all felt. And and I just remember feeling so uncomfortable. Yeah. And how that discomfort just carried on for like the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. Basically. And there's a bit of quote unquote like crazy making to that experience. And what I mean by that is this is that we don't have the words at that time in our lives to maybe describe the difference and how we're made to sometimes feel different. Sometimes not necessarily intentional, but you know, it's not necessarily welcoming. And yet I also think too. Our parents probably didn't have the language as well. It wasn't at the forefront of their mind. I don't know if, if you had that experience as well. Like, Because usually we would look to our parents for language to help us explain our experience. We didn't have that type of guidance or support or anything like that. So I'm just kind of curious to know if you had that too. Yeah, 100%. I think like so much of the discomfort and anxiety that I felt growing up. And this can be even into my 20s. I attributed so much of that to being something wrong with me, that it was like some kind of character flaw where I was weird. I'm like, oh, weirdo. I'm just socially awkward and no one really understands me. And that's just like how I felt. And it was very angsty, like the way that a lot of teenagers, I guess, feel. But now after starting Cambio and Co, we started Cambio when I was 25 years old. Mm -hmm. And after starting Cambio, it's only after we started the business and I started spending a lot of time intentionally with the Filipino community that I realized that so much of those feelings of isolation and just like a lack of belonging were cultural. And it was race related because I was one of the few non-white people in my friends group. And my closest friends in university were all white people. And I aspired to be like them. And I aspired to dress like them and to talk like them. And I just remember always feeling like I was five steps behind. And I was always trying to catch up and just trying Mm -hmm. to fit in somehow. And you don't know how to vocalize any of that. You always think it's your fault as a kid because you just don't know anything else. And no one in my family either was able to, you know, is able to articulate that. Yeah. Um, I think all my siblings, because I have two older sisters and mm-hmm. I have two younger brothers. So my brothers can relate to this a bit more, but with my two older sisters, they actually grew up more in 
Scarborough because they went to Mary Ward. Right, um, right. Yes, yes, yes. I went to Brother Andre and Mark. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yes, I know well, that. And they both stayed in Toronto. Yeah. Right. I had kind of the unique experience, I guess, of being more immersed in white culture yeah, yeah. more than my siblings might have been. And right. so I also couldn't really relate to them in some ways. It was like a pretty isolating experience. So, Jelaine, I, I find this all fascinating to me because like we came in the 70s to Parkdale which is ironic because I live around the corner from Parkdale now. And then the fascinating part was moving out to Scarborough in the 80s where I was one of four Filipino families amongst a lot of Italian and Portuguese folk. And then as I got through, my sisters had a very different experience because they were five years behind me and there were lots of Filipinos that they had. So they had the experience of being around a lot of Filipinos. While for me, it was like, that wasn't the case. It's interesting just kind of hearing the flip side, but it replicated yeah. itself in the 90s. You know, in some ways, I kind of hear the parallel trends. But Sigs, you too also felt isolated at times because oh, you were exactly. so always surrounded like, by white people, right? I love that we're like the four people, like in my high school, like in my grade was four Filipinos. Like yeah. the same type of <laughs> what thing. What is it with four, right? It's, it's, so. it's a magic number for all of us, right? But yeah. I smile at both of you saying four. I'm like that. Very similar, but Southern Ontario. Yeah. You know, that's where I was at, so... Yeah. So you're in Markham. It feels isolating. I hear what you say. You can't help but personalize what you feel is really a systemic barrier or a systemic issue, right? That's going out there in terms of making us feel different from everybody else. So then what made you think about going to Guelph? And I'm only curious because when I left Scarborough, I left Scarborough to go to Western, to London. When I look back, it's like, oh, I I know why I did that. But I'm kind of curious to compare notes with you on that. Yeah, it's really interesting that you went to Western because I know like Western and Guelph have some kind of rivalry or whatever. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes, yes. It's true. It's true, right? Yeah. You know. But for me, I did go... For a number of reasons, I think on paper or the way I convinced my parents was because I was like, oh, they have a really good veterinary school there. I want to be a veterinarian. Yes. So I actually studied animal biology right. and like biological sciences and everything like that. But really, I was like, I think my main motivations were like two things, which was one, I wanted to just get away from family and mm-hmm. just have the experience of being alone, like being yes. on my own yes, um, yes. and having that freedom. And the second was because I I don't think I really thought of it at the time in this way, but I think it was like, I didn't want to go where all the other Asian kids in my class were going. Yeah. And a lot Mm -hmm. of them were going to like Waterloo or McMaster or Mm -hmm. U of T. For me, I like, I wanted to kind of distance myself as much as possible from whatever the rest of them were doing. And I wanted to go here in my own path and go as far away as as I could from family, from people who knew me. And I wanted Mm -hmm. to reinvent myself. I think that's what choosing University of Guelph was for me was this reinvention right and at that time that reinvention was linked to like how close can I get to whiteness because that's all I knew right yeah 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 yeah. I would say the same very similar I mean one of the main motivations was yes I wanted to go away to get away from my family it wasn't that they were harsh or anything like that I just really need to figure myself out and I really needed to Mm -hmm. kind of at that time come out to myself and realize stuff about my sexuality I like what you said, which I actually think is really courageous, which is around trying to reinvent yourself, thinking that it's actually being closer to white people that will actually somehow find our version of ourselves when actually it's in stark contrast that we start to really find out who we are. Because I remember (laughs) being at Western feeling, oh, 
I'm really different and I can't, I can't even <laughs> blend in here, right? For that matter. I think listeners, you should see how big Jelaine's smile is because I think Jelaine could totally <laughs> relate with me on that. But Six, you also felt the same team. I went to Western too and yeah. I wanted like time away from my family and try to reinvent. that. Exactly. And you know what, Jelaine, more and more, like, yeah, it, our reference was whiteness. It's no joke. Yeah, that's what we were surrounded with and... That's what we were trying to simulate. It's very intriguing to hear it out loud, but I'm like, yeah, I have to agree. So I had went to Western twice. So once for my undergrad, and then eventually I got back to doing one part of my graduate work there, which is then when I ran into Siggy. It was fascinating, Jelaine, like the white folk, the well-intentioned oh meaning Jelaine, white yes. folk really meant well. When they met me, they were like, oh, you're like our friend Siggy, right? And I'm like, oh, what's he we like? Look, we look Nothing alike. The only thing we had in common was Filipino. And yeah. I had just left Western and he had just joined Western. So we were working on res staff. And it was almost like I left, but Jez joined. Yeah. Oh, it's like Siggy. I'm like, totally two different people. Well, <laughs> like and, and, night and day. Yeah, same, except it, it, we're just as loud as each other. <laughs> that that's true. That's probably what we do have in common. The casual racism was quite yeah. incredible, actually, at the mm. end of it all. And I guess, you know, when I hear about your experience, I can't help but wonder, like, oh my gosh. Did you also experience that kind of casual racism while at Guelph? I can't help but think you must have. Yeah, a hundred percent. And the thing is that I was actually trying to think of like an example. And that's the thing is like, I can't really think of an example because it just felt, it's just stuff that you absorb and you're like, oh, kind of just like walk away from it. And that's what it is. Right. Right. And I'm just like, I just always knew that I was different and that when I don't know. It's hard to say this out loud because it is, it's really painful to acknowledge it, but it's like when my parents would come to visit our house, like the house that I was staying at, I had mm. four roommates who I'm still friends with today, mm-hmm. but like, I would feel a little bit embarrassed when they would come to the house because they, the lifestyle that we had was very different from what my parents approved of. And like, I yeah. always like want them to stay too long. I was always afraid that they mm. would like do something or say something. Like, I remember my dad bringing some palabok mm. for me to bring to an event because we had, I was part of like a lot of different nonprofits on campus and like yeah. we were doing this cultural heritage event. Yeah. So I was like, oh, cool, let's bring Filipino food. But I remember like, and I asking my dad to make palabok and he brought it and like it was delicious. My dad makes the best palabok in Boston. But yeah, but I was like shy and like, afraid to give it to people and then in the end there was still so much left like I remember like it had barely been touched yeah and I remember feeling so ashamed that I like didn't even want to bring it home yeah because I like gave it to someone else and like we had one other international student who was there and he was Mm -hmm. like oh I love it like I would really love it like I would love to bring it home if you don't want it and I was like yeah take it like oh I kind of pretended like I didn't even like it you know like that kind of stuff makes me cringe so much but it's like that's the truth. Like that's the stuff that happens and processing it all now. I'm like, that was a lot of shit happening in this 20 year old brain. Right. Yeah. And I think to myself, our 20 year old brains were doing its best to figure out what does it mean to be Filipino? What does it mean to be Canadian? And what does it mean to have to explain your culture? And Mm -hmm. when you're explaining your culture, typically what we got back then was people judging instead of, welcoming Mm -hmm. at times and really Mm -hmm. like if I was to be generous to our white friends they were just asking questions because they didn't know Mm -hmm. there were some judgy white people 
But then there was just some curious white people that it just sounded like judgment. And I needed to kind of recode that differently in my head. Some of our common friends that Siggy and I, like I point over here, like as Siggy was here, but it's probably different <laughs> for wherever you are, Jelaine. So we have friends now that are like, oh, are you bringing Ponset? When's the Ponset coming over? Who's going to bring over the Pandasal? Like Siggy, the is, your, yeah. <laughs> Siggy is your dad going to make us some Pandasal? Yeah. And it is interesting, right? Because it does kind of come with shame having to kind of explain and having to kind of apologize. We're almost apologetic about it. And again, we're apologizing, feeling that we're bad and having to kind of undo that. Like, as you say, kind of still lasts with that. Even for myself, sometimes I think about it and I do cringe and I have to kind of be compassionate to myself and say, yeah. you know, you were 20. Like, what did you know when you were 20 in some ways? Yeah, yeah, yeah 100%. I think the self-compassion piece is something that like has taken therapy. It's taken a lot of like <laughs> journaling, yeah. and a lot of love and support from people today in my circle who have gone through similar journeys. But I think that what I just tell myself is like, I feel so much compassion for my younger self. Mm. I feel so much compassion yeah. for that girl because yeah. she was so lonely. And she yeah. was going through such a hard time. And it's like, that was really, really hard. And I'm just grateful that she like made it through. And <laughs> that was part of like the journey that made me who I am today. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You just give me <laughs> chills when you say that. And it just makes, you know what it makes me want to do? It makes me want to kind of like create a care package of overnight Palau book that I could just send to that 20 year old. <laughs> you know, it wouldn't last through Canada Post, but if I could get it there in a day, I would like send that and just say, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's okay. Because I think that loneliness is, and that feeling of exclusion really drives us to then want to figure out how to connect with people. And suddenly something shows that we're different, mm-hmm. you know, like there's enough about us that looks different. And it's like suddenly it's food or your lifestyle, your parents asking, oh, what are you, what is this, right? And why are you living like this? Like that's enough to suddenly make us feel exposed in some ways. But really, as you say, we need to be gentle with ourselves. Yeah, 100%. And I just actually thought of like, what's an example of that casual racism and was actually like going to these parties, for example. And Mm. I think it's interesting to be, from the perspective of, for me, I'm sharing as the perspective of an Asian woman, but like going to a party with like all my friends are blondes and blue eyed and whatever. And I just remember like feeling so ignored Mm. by people there and like all of them being like hit on or like being flirted with. And then I would just feel passed over and just feeling like, oh, it's because like, I'm not fashionable enough. I don't have the right makeup. I'm not pretty. I'm not funny. And just like how so much of that is internalized. And now it's like, you know, fuck those people. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) Well, it's just, yeah. It's so interesting how that type of casual racism renders us invisible and how painful that is at the end of the day. I can personally relate to that. I know how many times I've gone to a gay club (laughs) in London, Ontario, where like no one would look at me. Or the flip side, being exoticized in a really terrible way. If it's not exoticized, it's made to feel invisible. And then that just... Again, as you say, you kind of come to these conclusions, something must be wrong with me or something's wrong with how I'm dressing or how I'm appearing. You know, at the time I didn't have 
the vocabulary or the understanding or the therapy to, to externalize all of it and say, actually, it's that, it's society's problem or it's the way society has constructed it to look at us in this way, shape or form. So Guelph, you finished at Guelph. I'm assuming you finished at Guelph, right? Yes, I did. And then you ran to Guelph to kind of figure out or have a frame of reference to then just discover that it's like, this isn't my frame of reference. So then what happened next? Well, it's pretty convoluted. I went back to school to George Brown yes. College to study human resources. So I went into business. And long story short, I ended up following a path that was really not for me. I thought it was what I wanted. It mm-hmm. was what a lot of people approved of. Mm-hmm. But I realized that it just wasn't It was just another version of me creating that frame of reference, like you said, that was outside of myself. I went to George Brown. I studied human resources. I worked for a while in a financial tech company in Toronto. And then while I was basically, I had like that midlife crisis and Mm -hmm. I was in this job that I didn't really love. I also just felt like, I think I arrived at a point where I was like, something just really needs to change. And Mm -hmm. when I, back in 2012, I actually had gone back to Philippines for the first time. So when I was 22 years old, that was three Mm -hmm. years ago before I had this midlife crisis. Mm -hmm. And I remember just being in Philippines and meeting family members for the first time that I had never really known existed or had only known by name and just kind of realizing like, there's so much that you don't know about yourself. Mm -hmm. Like there's so much about you that you have just barely scratched the surface. And I remember having that sense of something, but I didn't really know what to like being that 22 year old. I like just kind of went home and got that job, graduated, et cetera. (laughs) I had that midlife crisis. I was kind of like me and my partner, Jerome, who is also my co-founder of Cambium Co. We both decided to quit our jobs and we're like, you know, let's kind of spend this time to think of what we want to do with our lives. And (laughs) for myself, I was like, let me take this time to figure out who I want to be and what I want to do. And so we just started Cambio. We started our business in 2015, but it was really an experiment. It was really like, let's kind of just see what happens when we just do something different and let's do something fun. And the idea was really to bring products from Philippines to Mm -hmm. markets in North America, because for myself, I guess like while you're in Philippines, I felt like there was like that feeling of barely scratching the surface and then Mm -hmm. wanting to learn everything I could about Philippines. So during this time of just like, okay, let me explain the way my brain works is like a cloud um, where it's not very like sequential or linear. It's like it jumps back and forth. And it doesn't have to be sequential. And I think here at the Hollow Hollow podcast, we love the scenic route. We love the scenic route. So, you know, and we love all the flourishes that come with it. But can I just ask a question? When you got to the Philippines, you've described it as being awakening, like an eye-opening experience, right? Mm -hmm. What was it that sparked something in you? Like something got sparked is the way you describe it to Mm -hmm. us. Like, I just want to know, what was that moment where it was like, oh, there's so much more to know about myself by being here. Mm -hmm. So like, was there an encounter? Was there a discovery? I I just want to know, because I I know that there's something valuable there that I think our listeners would love to know. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's two things. I think there were those really two big aha moments. So the first time was having lechon in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, yes, yes. 
Because, like, I, you know, we had Lechon at fiestas and, like, family parties in Toronto and everything. So I was like, oh, I know what Lechon is. Yeah. But, like, I remember the first day we arrived in my dad's hometown because it was a family trip. My cousins and my titos, they had, like, bought a pig and they had been roasting it all day mm-hmm. by themselves. And then I just remember eating it for the first time. And I was like, this is Lechon. This like, is Lechon. And just, like, having that, like, big, like, I remember my eyes went wide and I was like, what? I've never tasted anything so, so good. Yeah. And I think that was like what that spark was of like, wow, what else is there then that like I didn't even know could be that good? So I think that's where that curiosity kind of got peaked. And then the second aha moment actually came related to fashion. So now mm. like <laughs> getting to this topic. Yeah. Is- we are just kind of researching different brands in the Philippines. You know, I was just interested to see like what's going on in the Philippines. I was really interested in social enterprise or like social impact in business. That's just like an interest I picked up in university. And so I was like, what kind of businesses exist in the Philippines? And I remember learning about one, which was called Rags to Riches. Mm-hmm. And the co-founder and the president is Reese Fernandez Ruiz. Mm-hmm. And she is still the co-founder and president. So they've been around for 15 years. But she, I just like remember reading about her story and how like legit she is. Like mm-hmm. she was on the Forbes 30 under 30 list of some kind. Oh, wow. they have list, but she was like Forbes 30 under 30. She's spoken at the World Economic Forum, Rex to Riches. Basically what they do is they take, you know, the basahan weave, yeah. the rags. Yeah. That <laughs> happens homes so that is a type of weave that's very typical in philippines and oftentimes the people who would make those weaves they would go and they would sell it for like pesos in the streets because it was not worth Mm -hmm. money but instead they work with these women who were doing that and then trained them how to make that weave into designer bags Mm -hmm. and these bags have been featured in vogue they were in like different fashion weeks they've been in new york and in paris Mm -hmm. and i just remember seeing something again that ordinary thing that you grew up seeing it around the home and seeing it presented as like this beautiful piece of fashion that these celebrities are wearing that yeah. are being worn celebrated and i remember seeing just like learning about reese and her story and like feeling for myself like oh this is like a filipina i actually really feel like i can relate to yeah. in a way <laughs> not that i am a big shot or anything but just really like i didn't relate to the filipino community in toronto of like beauty pageants or even sports I'm not a sporty person I'm not like someone who is really good particularly at art or these different things that you know typical quote-unquote Filipino pursuits um, or Mm -hmm. dancing for example but I remember seeing her story and thinking like I want to be her like she's who I want to be when I grow up yeah and my dream was like I want to be able to work for her someday like I want to be an employee of hers right and so i guess spoiler alert fast forward and now rags to riches is actually one of the brands that we work with at cambio and co and we've been partners <laughs> with them since 2018 and she was actually my mentor and we've launched different big initiatives together and so like instead of being an employee of hers we actually work as partners right which is something <laughs> that i'm really amazed by <laughs> I think to myself, like success, if it's not about kind of sharing the generational wealth, it's Mm -hmm. then about kind of like, and I kind of talk about it in terms of otters. Otters get together, they link up and they lie back and (laughs) then they navigate rough waters by lying back and paddling with Mm -hmm. others and stuff like that. And so this is such a beautiful story and such a beautiful example of kind of solidarity. Like that's actually how we can create more wealth. And I don't mean that like financially, I just mean just enriching our 
our lives in a number of different ways and stuff like that. When you were describing your journey, I was thinking to myself, it's almost that kind of Wizard of Oz, like everything's in black and white and then suddenly, <laughs> right? Like multicolor. <laughs> Sorry, say that again. The lechon brought the color. <laughs> the lechon brought the color and then realized that there's, there's yeah. much more. And then boom, yeah. came this amazing enterprise. And I personally think you are a big shot, by the way. Same. Right? I like when I look at your, When I look at all of your, the jewelry and the designs out there and the postings, and that I can tell that you're moving even like beyond that. I wonder if you can tell our listeners a little bit more about kind of like some of those initiatives kind of going forward. Ooh, thank you for saying that, first of all. Yeah. Um, I really I appreciate that. I'm learning how to receive compliments. So it's I- so hard, <laughs> isn't it? I just want to say I really we really admire. We We've really admire. You. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, from the we, beginning. Yeah. Uh, since 2018, yeah. like, you've evolved a lot. And yeah. we look to you and your comments during like the pandemic, during Black Lives Matter, during the Me Too, you made some very thoughtful stuff and you're sharing with a lot of people and you're amplifying. So I, I don't interrupt. I want we want to hear from you like that shift. It's it's great to see this evolution. Yeah, thank you for that well I guess something that I think about that well I guess to just kind of talk about what representation is right like Mm -hmm. it kind of made me uncomfortable because we did get a lot of attention there was a period I think I won an award for something in 2019 at some point and it really like brought us kind of gave us a lot of legitimacy in traditional media outlets and I was really uncomfortable with that because I was like, who am I and all that imposter syndrome, but also like, you know, wondering what the purpose is of it. Mm-hmm. And I think something that Reese actually helped me understand is like, you know, that is part of the work. Being successful is part of your impact because your success, when you're coming from a marginalized community where people do not see themselves represented, your success becomes your activism. And that is often actually something that we had talked about earlier about just seeing ourselves represented and how we need diverse stories. And so that's kind of the principle that I've really tried to follow with Cambio of like, we need to keep growing because like, I don't want to just settle for being this like it's fine to be a small business. I think it's good. We're still small, but, and it's fine if you're creating a business that's something just like to sustain you and your lifestyle. That's a very honorable and very respectful, you know, way to have a living. But at the same time, I always dreamed of something bigger. And instead of it being like, just like a business, I imagine building an ecosystem. And that's what I want from Cambio and Co. And we have a sister company now called Sinta and Co. Mm. Focused on Mm -hmm. wedding. So that was a really big development we had in, we launched in 2019, I believe. And so I think about like, how do we add these little pieces then to the ecosystem? That's kind of like how I think of growth is like, how do we grow this ecosystem? And how do we grow in a way that brings other people along with us? Because we all know a lot of Filipinos who are rich and wealthy and powerful, but they don't necessarily lift up other Filipinos, right? Yeah. Like it's not an automatic thing. And they you don't share the wealth. Like they don't, yeah. or I have my hypotheses about that. I think it's mm-hmm. sometimes it's just kind of like, I worked hard and I'm not going to share it in some ways. Yeah. And and I think part of it has to sometimes do with the fact that if I start sharing it, it becomes almost endless who I have to share my wealth with, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I've always said this, that sometimes sharing wealth, and, I, and again, I don't necessarily mean it from a financial point of view, it could be the navigational advice that you get or give to other people. It could be mm-hmm. the, the tips and tricks of the trade of whatever your industry might be the mentorship that you can give or receive. 
I think it's like, you know, lighting a candle. Mm -hmm. When you light another candle, you're just getting another candle to burn brightly. Like it's not actually going to burn you out, I think is what some Mm -hmm. people think. That, oh, if I give my flame, it's going to like suddenly boom, right? Like I'm going to lose mine. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like you share what you can. And when you do that, you know, you actually help others and you make us all burn brightly together in, in a lot of ways. That's where we admire what you've done, where is basically doing a lot of ethical fashion sourcing and bringing it over. And then kind of, as you say, expanding your ecosystem in a lot of ways, which I, you know, I just love. I love being in the Cambio universe. <laughs> and so I was looking at Cinta and I was like, oh my gosh, look at all these barongs that I can wear that I maybe need to start wearing at work a little bit more, right? Or, you, you know, or just like, you know, the coins. I, I totally forgot, forgot about the coins and the cords and the the history right. around that. Yeah, it's just been so beautiful to kind of see what I would say is updated or modernized for today's Filipino or Fil- Filipina, right? Are there any other plans that you can share with us that are in the works that you're cooking up? Because I'm always like, oh, I wonder what they're going to create next. Well, one big thing that we just launched is that we opened up our first physical space in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, that just happened. So now if you're around Toronto or you're visiting, uh, you can actually come and shop all of our pieces in person. We've been only online for the last like five years. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a pretty something a lot of people have been asking us for. You can actually visit, have a private appointment with one of our team members, and then get a lot of like personalized advice around our pieces and what I love about the showroom appointments is that it's not just about helping people pick out a piece but it's also like being able to share the stories yeah. of our pieces and the mm-hmm. history in a way that like is really hard to do in an Instagram oh my gosh post. Jelaine you're um, giving people an experience I love that it, right it's totally I've watched you like work with your team and brainstorm and you're just giving up a whole vibe and it influence a lot of people like it's just you're celebrating culture at so many levels just to see that because I wanted you to talk about like this new piece where you can make appointments and get advice and hear the stories behind where those pieces become so much more meaningful our culture and that it continues and originates in the Philippines you're employing people in the Philippines you're getting this conscious these materials and and stuff i just think it's just amazing and that you're continuing to grow even more and more so thank you so much the experience that you're giving like what informs the experience of Mm. a potential customer yeah yeah um so when we were in brainstorming as a team it's like you know what do we want our space to do and every time we share a story it's always like what do we want people to feel what do we want people to know and then what do we want people to do with that at the right, end of it. Right, so that's right. kind of what exercise we also did. And that's kind of how the name actually Bahai Cambio came mm. uh, for our showroom is because we realized this the kind of experience we want to give people is a feeling of home, mm. creating this space that feels both familiar but also really new. Yeah. And I think that really encapsulates what it means to be a Filipino or Filipina or Filipina in the diaspora is that sense of familiarity, but everything is also new yeah. and different. You kind of have that opportunity to make something for yourself using all these things you've been given. That so sounds that's, like that's really the inspiration. It sounds like your first trip to the Philippines. Like I am just thinking that in as much as you're biting into the lechon, for example, it's both familiar and yet home. And then like, it also awakens your senses in in some ways. But I love this idea of like, you know, you've come home. And I just love the idea that people then get to hear stories and the consultants help you find meaning in what you're wearing, right? 
Yeah. And something that I really love, like my favorite part of it is that we actually printed out a map of the Philippines mm. and it's in our showroom. And we invite people to who visit to actually add a pin of where their family is from or a oh. place that they can. Oh. And it's really amazing to just kind of see because, you know, we talk about where our pieces are made, but it's mm-hmm. different. Like a lot of people are like, I don't know necessarily what that means. And actually someone had when I was talking to them and kind of explaining where pieces were and then she got to see where her family's home province actually is on the map she actually said to me she's like oh no one has ever taken the time to like explain this to me wow <laughs> or like teach me to teach yeah. me what this means because yeah. all i heard were names and i think that's just like what i'm really honored to be able to do with mm-hmm. this space and with the platform we have is like we just get to help people understand more about themselves. Like, I think that's one of the greatest honors we can have as like other human beings. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I would agree. I would agree. Wow. Amazing. 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 And I can't wait to visit Baha'i Cambio. Right. So you'll, Siggy will probably lead. We'll you make an appointment. My wife, I ordered from you in 2018 and you leave me a lovely note. My wife has this beautiful necklace. So she'll be like, Oh, now you have an excuse. When I go to Toronto, <laughs> Jesse and I will make an appointment. Hopefully it's you'll true. be there and we'll talk. You'll engage us more. My wife will be like, get Jillian to get me some jewelry. Get some jewelry and we'll bring it back. And I'll be like, any excuse, Emily, of course, uh, we'll do that. Well, yeah, we'll have to come in person and uh, make an appointment for sure, Jesse. I think that's a great idea. Jelaine, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. So very much appreciated. I feel like that there's more stories to tell at some point. So please come back when we start recording season six. Tell us more about your adventures and stuff like that and the people that you're meeting. I think every podcast ends in a fixing of the week, just on a play of Halo Halo. Like, you know, what are your fixings that you'd like to put into your Halo Halo? Our fixing is really, we'd like to tell all our listeners is to find out more about Cambion Co. And we're going to put them all in our show notes and stuff like that. And if you are in the greater Toronto, Hamilton, Toronto and Hamilton area, come visit Baha'i Cambio. And I'm sure Jelaine will tell us a little bit more about where to find them. So Sigs, take us out. Jelaine, one more time, please share with your listeners your socials so they can find out more about your company and yourself. Yes, you can check out our full collection of pieces handcrafted and designed in the Philippines on our website at www.shopcambio.co. You can follow us on Instagram as well as TikTok at cambio underscore co. And you can book an appointment at our showroom on our website. It is right there when you go and connect with me personally on my Instagram at Jelaine Santiago. Definitely follow her on, on her Instagram. She has great stuff on there. I love watching it. Great places she goes on vacation. Mm. good places good hints good places where she eats it's so good if you have any questions you want to know more we can share more information to you about cameo also email us at hollowhollowpopculture at gmail.com you can find us on social media we're on twitter our handle is at hollowhollowpop and on instagram at hollowhollowpopculture finally we receive editorial feedback from Mary Beth Badian our musical theme is by Chelt Ring and we'll see all of you guys again real soon Jelaine, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to have to have more Lechun to have an experience to like launch a campaign. I'm going to have to find the right Lechun. You got to guide me to the right place then. Yes, you got to go to Philippines. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to.